Welcome to Dealmaker Diaries, where you hear directly from the dealmakers who you invest with. M&A, real estate syndication, and more. Strap in for unparalleled advice, wisdom, and insight from some of the world's best business minds with Don Thomas and G1C Group. Good day, deal makers and entrepreneurs. Today we have a great show. We have Mr. Anil Raj. He's a serial international entrepreneur with just over a decade into entrepreneurship. Today, his businesses range from Indian chains of restaurants, international kindergarten, travel and leisure, imports and exports, and more. An ex-techie with 17 years of experience working in international investment banks like Credit Suisse, Dresdner, Japanese Shinsei Bank, and Citibank. He holds an MS in information technology from Australia. After his MS in 1997, he moved to Indonesia to work for an Indonesian bank as an IT specialist. In 1998, he shifted to Japan for Credit Suisse and has worked for other well-known banks after that. And in 2005, Anil took the plunge into entrepreneurship and has cracked this code multiple times since. His company, Raj Group, founded in 2005, is based in Tokyo, Japan. He recalls that he always wanted to be an entrepreneur right from his college days. It seems like the drive to better things and questioning the status quo had always been in his DNA. Anil attributes his business success to two simple mantras, create a need or address one. In one such instance, Anil Raj found that Indian restaurants in Japan never served authentic South Indian food. Hence was born Nirvana, a South Indian specialty restaurant. Today, Nirvana is one of the most awarded Indian chain of restaurants in Japan. Anil is well known amongst the business and political circles in Japan as well. He's consulted for when Indian head of states and dignitaries travel to Japan on business visits. He says there are many things to learn from Japan and vice versa. And it is time both countries collaborate deeply to improve the quality of living in both of these countries. Raj Group is the first company to bring in construction workers from India to Japan. Anil Raj was also selected as special invitee for the Loka Kerala Sapa 2020. Anil is well-rooted back home as well. He has addressed various forums in the country to encourage Indian students and entrepreneurs. He believes that Indians' growth story can be realized this century with the upcoming talent in the country. So let us now welcome Mr. Anil Raj to the show. Anil Raj, thanks for joining us today. How are you? Thanks, Don. Doing good. How are you? Uh, Very good. Very good. How's your day going so far or morning? Uh, It's good going on. So quite busy these days because of corona yeah i can imagine i can imagine have to have to work doubly hard yeah absolutely so um actually what are you working on these days what are you working on right now um right now we have uh, it we have just started it so we are working quite a bit on that uh, and uh, right now because of uh, covid there's a lot of uh, things that we have to work on the restaurant side also 
to make sure that uh, things are sanitized, things are uh, proper processes are in place to actually uh, what they call control the control the virus. And uh, yeah, mo most of the things uh, on the restaurant side and the IT side is a bit more these days. And uh, tours and travels is less, so there's nothing nothing much on that side. Okay, got it, got it. So Raj, um, why don't we jump into it? So tell us a little bit about your family family life growing up in India. Okay, uh, I come I come from a middle class family. Uh, my roots are from a state called Kerala, which is the southernmost state in India. Uh, I grew up in a city called Hyderabad. My father, Dr. Advocate Chandrasekhar, was working in a private sector, and my mother, Mrs. Uh, Shobha Chandrasekhar, was a homemaker. Since my father was into private sector business, well, private sector, the business was never discussed at home. Uh, I, have a, I have a younger brother. Gopal Raj, who is also currently into business. Uh, I did my schooling and undergrad in city called Hyderabad. And I did my master's in IT from Australia. Okay, got it, got it. And yeah, I think, um, so yeah, you and I have known each other for maybe um, about five years now, I think, right? Yeah, I think more than five years, probably. <laughs> I met, I think I met your father uh, a couple of years ago at one of your... Um, anniversary events at one of your restaurants so he seemed like a yes 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 previous gentleman yeah so um how much of an influence did your parents have on you in your early years as far as education uh my parents were particularly particular about doing well in studies right and then they were quite pushy about it uh, till my undergrad, I was just an average student. I started doing well and excelling in subjects after my undergrad. Did quite well in my MS in IT from Australia. So as far as my parents' influence in entrepreneurship is concerned, my father was very conservative and had a very calculative uh, approach uh, to everything and thinking too much about pros and cons of every step that he takes. But on the contrary, my mother uh, is someone who is very good at taking risk. Uh, for example, when I started learning how to ride a motorbike, right? Dad used to be dead against uh, uh, me riding a bike, a motorbike, because he was worried about accidents and uh, all those things. So, but when my dad was away, my mom used to encourage me to do to to ride the motorbike. Right. So that that actually shows like my mom is uh, what you call uh, is a risk taker. And my mom is a dad is a very calculated person who who looks at the pros and cons of every every step. So looking back, I think um, they both had equal influence on my risk taking abilities. Yeah, that's interesting because, yeah, you think, I think most people would think it'd be the exact opposite where your mother would be the one who's most cautious about you riding a, a motorbike. Yes. So, the, but for me, it was the other way around. <laughs> yeah. So, as far as entrepreneurship, um, did either one of your parents um, push one way or the other as far as education or being an entrepreneur? Uh, no, they did, we never had any discussions about entrepreneurship when I was growing up. We never had anything. I think business was never a, never a choice there because uh, 
uh, we never discussed about business or we there was no discussion about uh, starting a business or anything like that in uh, this one so uh, never had any push for business uh, or entrepreneurship okay. but uh, having said that uh, what you call uh, uh, they were uh, uh, okay uh, i think uh, there, there was there was nothing in that uh, uh, area everything was towards uh, having a good job ge getting a good uh, what you call uh, getting into a good job becoming an engineer and all this stuff so so uh, there was uh, none of my ancestors were into business okay so your typical um, middle class upbringing do well in school get good grades get a good job and you'll have a happy life pretty much. yes typically that okay okay so it um you said you um, got your master's in Australia. So how did you end up in Australia from um, from India? How did that happen? Uh, actually, uh, when I was in uh, my undergrad, there were a lot of Australian universities that came to Hyderabad and did um, uh, seminars uh, in Australia. Uh, in sorry, in uh, Hyderabad. And I was quite impressed with one or two seminars. And then uh, I decided that uh, Australia is a good place uh, to go and do my further studies. Okay. So that's how, that's how I ended up. Because during those days, US was a very popular uh, destination for uh, doing MS. But uh, because I was impressed with these uh, guys who had come there for seminars, and I thought Australia was a good, would be a good thing. Okay. And... So you completed your master's and you went to Indonesia and started working in IT at one of the large banks, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And it looks like, yeah, so, you, so how long were you in Indonesia? Uh, around one and a half years, I was in Indonesia. Okay, and how did you like the, the um, what I say, working conditions or atmosphere in Indonesia? What did you think about that? Uh, Actually, after doing MS in IT, I, uh, from Australia, I just uh, had a, sh a short stint in uh, Indonesia at a bank called uh, Bank Putra, which was a part of a big group called Texmaco. So during my stay in Indonesia, there were a lot of uh, political unrest in Jakarta. And I started floating my resume on the net. Uh, I, I, st I stayed there for one, one and a half years. And uh, then because of this unrest, uh, started floating my resume on the net and uh, one fine day I got a call from a company called Fusion Systems uh, and went through a few rounds of interviews and was offered a job in a system engineer in Japan. Okay, okay, yeah, so I know Fusion Systems well. I actually had um, CEO Mike Alfan on the show um, just last week. So yeah, we know them well. So you were with them a while and then you went on to work for, was it Credit Suisse? Yes, after after Fusion got was uh, sold to another company called IMR Global. I think Mike Alfin sold the company to IMR Global. I moved into investment banks, like uh, got into Credit Suisse at that time. Uh, all all this while, I think uh, my uh, entrepreneurial ambitions, which started uh, during the school time, was still at the back of my mind. Yeah, I, I went into Credit Suisse and then jumped into a few other uh, investment banks. Okay, and what year was this when you came to Japan? Pardon me? What year was this when you um, came to Japan? 
came to Japan? I, I came in 1998. Okay, 1998. All right, so you're working at Credit Suisse, and tell me about the tipping point or the point where you finally made the decision that you wanted to jump into the entrepreneur game. Uh, okay, so I think this entrepreneurial, uh, my entrepreneurial ambition was still at the back of my mind while I was working for Credit Suisse also, uh, because this started during my high school days. And uh, in investment bank, they are very strict about doing outside business activity, right, for any employee. So we had to get compliance and clearance for any business that I start on the side. Right. So my initial request to compliance was to start an IT company, but that was denied, stating there would be a potential uh, conflict of interest. Right. After some brainstorming, I noticed that all Indians, uh, Indian restaurants in Japan used to serve North Indian food. Right. Although there were a lot of South Indian IT engineers in Japan, none of them used to serve uh, South Indian restaurants, South Indian food. So that, there was a vacuum in that business space. So, and uh, compliance, I went back to compliance and they were okay with this uh, restaurant business as, they, as it had no conflict of interest. So since my office was in Kamiacho, I wanted to start something close to my office so that it was e easy to manage, right? That's how we started our first restaurant uh, in Kamiacho. Uh, first branch of Nirvanam is in Kamiacho. Okay, and um, so you were doing that simultaneously while still working at the bank? Yes, I, I, I uh, did part-time entrepreneurship for 10 years simultaneously while I was working in the bank. Okay, 10 years. And um, what year was this when you started, when you launched um, Kamiacho location? It was, uh, it was 2005. 2005. Yeah. Okay, so your first business, and I'm sure, I'm sure there were many bumps in the road. I mean, can you talk about any times where things got so tough you thought that you weren't going to make it or it wasn't going to work out? Were there any situations like that? Uh, yeah, there, there, were, there were a lot of uh, hardships in between. There were a lot of bumps in between. So basically, uh, just a minute. There, there were, yeah, there were a lot of hardships in between. So in 2005, uh, I did not speak much uh, Japanese beyond the basic greeting, right? Uh -huh. That's why language was definitely an issue for me. Um, of course, there were plenty of things beyond the, beyond the language factor. Uh, I did not know anything about the restaurant industry also, and I, I hardly cook. Uh, I, I used to cook for myself, but I, I don't think I would serve for anybody else. Uh, <laughs> And uh, th th there was very less or almost zero information in English at that time in 2005 about the restaurant industry or about even about how to start a company in Japan. So it was it was a huge learning curve for me. Mm -hmm. So I had no idea how much uh, how much space I wanted for a restaurant because I don't come from the industry. I don't have anybody any uh, godfather in that industry. Who can who can help me out with that, right? And uh, how 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 much space needs to be allocated. What should be the size of the tables and chairs? How to train the cooks? Had to learn all this on the job. So had to learn how to start a company, how to get visas for chefs, 
and all this information is not available in English at that time. Right now, I think there are plenty of uh, websites that tell you how to how to do all these things, how to start a company, how to uh, get visas and all that stuff. So that was that was an issue. Uh, so uh, 2004 and 2005, uh, I spent a lot of time researching on this. So of course I. Uh, the, because because of because of not having experience in the industry, uh, I did make a lot of mistakes. Like the initial table sizes were wrong, and probably the first restaurant was not created efficiently. If I had created efficiently, probably I could have um, put in a few more seats, and because of which we could have had uh, much more business. Right, so there, there were plenty of uh, this one, but uh, at the end of the day, uh, if it's successful, all this all this doesn't matter. Exactly. So yeah, and I mean, so I mean, I think that's actually amazing to hear. You had no experience in the restaurant industry whatsoever in a country where you don't speak the language, and you went from that to one of the most awarded Indian chain of restaurants in Japan. Yes, that's that's a tough job. Right. That was challenging, especially when you're doing when you have a full time job, and also doing part time restaurant. Restaurant industry is quite challenging, and doing it along with a full time job is is quite tough. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know if um, if many of our listeners listeners are familiar with Tokyo. There are so many restaurants, so I think Tokyo is probably yeah. the most challenging cities to launch a restaurant and be successful. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about. So you've been. So fast forward. You've been doing. You've been in the restaurant industry for, for, what five, seven, ten years now. At what point yeah. you decide that you're at you're in a position that, you don't need to work for the bank anymore. So uh, in 2015, by the time uh, we came to 2015, we had uh, four branches of. Uh, Nirvanam restaurant and uh, uh, by the time we had also started uh, a kindergarten school uh, along with my friend Mr. Pankaj. So it was a full-time job on one side for managing four restaurants and a kindergarten school uh, on the other side. So so it, it was quite tough. Uh, so then I, I decided to quit in 2015. So by the time I had quit uh, Credit Suisse and joined Dresdner between this 2005 and 2015, I quit uh, Credit Suisse, joined Dresdner, and from Dresdner I moved to Shinsei Bank, and from Shinsei Bank I moved to Citibank. So in 2015 I quit Citibank uh, and quit IT as a job, thinking that someday I will start IT as business. Okay. And so talk to me about the conversation you had with your boss at Citibank when you decided to jump ship. Was that a difficult conversation? Was he surprised or he or she surprised? No, I think uh, that was not very difficult because everybody everybody knew that I uh, used to run everybody in my whichever office I worked, uh, they knew that uh, I had I had a business on the side. So I think uh, that was not not very difficult. Okay. And um, by that point, you're married as well. So was it a difficult conversation to have with your wife or was she pretty much on board by that point as well? She knew the restaurant was doing well and she was okay with it. Yeah, I think, I think uh, she, initially, I think uh, uh, 
my wife was a bit uh, worried uh, because having a having a job because we we all, even even my parents were worried like are you are you sure you want to quit because they they all come from a uh, what do you call a non business families like right? so so i think initially people were worried but over a period of time we got got over it okay yeah i'm sure that was quite yeah quite a period just making that transition for for her as well yes 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 so Anil Raj, one of the things I, I think that really helps us as entrepreneurs is um, mindset. So how, how important do you think mindset was or is in helping you to trust the process and stay the course when things got tough? Um, I think mindset for entrepreneurs, mindset is very important uh, because they need to uh, be able, to, they need to be uh, be prepared for uh, hard work and long hours of work and entrepreneurship is not 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 easy right yeah exactly so my mindset is the key to succeed right he should be prepared to question the status quo right so if 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 some things are done a particular way uh, in any industry he should be able to prepare he should be prepared to find out why it is done that way and he should be prepared to change those things and show leadership in the in the team, right? So these kind of mindset usually uh, you, you need to change when, especially when you're moving from a job to a business or to entrepreneurship. Uh, you, it's it's a totally different shift that you have to you have to take. And for an entrepreneur, you know, work-life balance is usually tilted towards work and anyone choosing entrepreneurship should be prepared for it Absolutely. being an entrepreneur is not not an easy choice especially for a person like me where none of my ancestors were into business but people coming from a business family i think uh, that probably comes naturally uh, but people not coming from business families it's 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 tough yeah absolutely and i think and like you mentioned before and and to make it even to even magnify that you're in a country where you don't speak the language well. And what, what, do, you, what do you think about the, um, so you're in Tokyo, what do you think about Tokyo's ability to foster entrepreneurship? Do you think there was a large support system in that, in, in that manner? Or are you pretty much on your own in that aspect as well? I think if, if you speak, read, write Japanese, you have a lot of support uh, for entrepreneurship but uh, uh, you have a lot of support but I, I compared to other countries i feel still entrepreneurship is not uh, something that japan has nurtured right compared to compared to us or compared to other countries like us australia uk right japan probably might be uh, behind uh, in entrepreneurship uh, but uh, having said that uh, if you are perfect with Japanese. There's there's a lot of resources in in Tokyo also to get. Uh, but uh, let's say for example, uh, there's a lot of subsidies that are uh, in place and a lot of government uh, funding or government loans support and everything. But for everything, you have to rely on somebody who speaks or reads writes Japanese. Mm. And in in Japan particularly, it is not sufficient that your interpreter speaks. There there are some cases where like uh let's let's say for example uh, 
uh, if you want to uh, do a mutual fund account it is not sufficient that uh, you sit with an uh, interpreter uh, uh, translator and fill in your form it they expect you to know japanese all right that's 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 a difficult part there, there are plenty of places that that has that uh, they have this kind of requirement that you cannot do it through a uh, translator you yourself have to read it and sign it that makes it challenging yeah definitely definitely so yeah and and, and piggybacking off what you said about um subsidies and capital did um for your first um restaurant location did you did you need to raise capital for that? Yes. Uh, uh, I mean, apart from my savings, my savings was not sufficient to uh, fund the restaurant because restaurant is a, it's a big capital expense. So apart from the, uh, my savings, I did have to go to a Japanese bank and uh, get, get some funding. And they, here they have a requirement like you have to get a uh, guarantor. Uh, for getting any loan or anything like that. So I think uh, one of my good friends, uh, uh, Mr. Srikant Sripati, he helped me. Uh, he was my first guarantor in the business. So uh, that way, I think we could we were able to uh, get some because he was uh, actually uh, as a requirement, they wanted a Japanese guarantor. But since uh, my friend was working in financial institutions and usually financial institutions salaries are a bit high, so the, they somehow accepted him as a guarantor. That's how I got into uh, got my first uh, capital. Okay. All right. And so, from the first restaurant to now, you have is it five or six locations? It's six locations now. Six locations. Okay, yeah, I think your yeah. most recent one was um, Kawagoi, Saitama? Yes, yes, yes. It was in Kawagoi, Saitama. So what, what's the timeline time span from your first restaurant to your most recent one? Yeah, it, it was uh, 2005 uh, as part-time entrepreneurship. Uh, start uh, in 2005. And uh, right now, uh, timeline was like, let's 2005, the first one. 2011, we started. 2015, we started Ariake. 2018, we started uh, Yokohama Center Kitam. And 2019, we relocated the earlier Ariake branch to Ginza. And uh, 2020, April, we started Ariake branch again in the same building, same floor. Uh, 2020, June, we started our last uh, venture, the, so far the last venture uh, at uh, Nirvanam Saitama, Kawagoya. Okay. Okay, very good. Yeah, and congratulations on your most recent one as well. Thank you, man. So how's, um, so if you can go back to 2005, is there anything yeah. you know now that you go back and tell your younger self before setting off on this trail? Uh, there are plenty of, uh, there are plenty of things, but uh, to name a few, uh, of course, the technical knowledge that I have today, uh, I probably would probably transfer to my younger self 
uh, whatever technical knowledge about starting a restaurant and how much space it is required and all the stuff. But apart from the technical knowledge, uh, the basic thing that I would uh, probably tell my younger self is I was I was a bit averse to borrowing uh, uh, when I started, but uh, now I would probably tell my younger self that it is okay to borrow uh, if it is if the money is being used for growth. Mm, yeah, that is the basic thing. That uh, probably, uh, mm, of course, there are plenty of technical things that you can probably uh, transfer that knowledge. But this is one thing that I would probably do uh, if I was younger. Yeah, definitely. I think one of the things that we as entrepreneurs, especially coming from middle-class families that we might be handicapped by, we're growing up, we're taught that debt is bad, right? That's what we do. Yes, that, is, that, that was a major thing that we should probably teach our uh, younger entrepreneurs or our, our kids that uh, debt is not bad as long as it is used for growth. But yeah. debt is definitely bad if you want to, what you call, splurge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're... Yeah, if you're accumulating credit card debt to buy cars and clothes, that's not necessarily good debt. But if you're buying assets yes. like businesses or real estate, it could be a game changer as far as increasing your wealth, right? Yes, yes, definitely. All right, so let's talk about some of your um, other ventures in Japan. I know you mentioned um, you started a kindergarten as well. How did that, um, how did that come about? And Yes, uh, looking at my other ventures, in 2014, I co-founded uh, Star Kids International Preschool along with a good friend of mine, uh, Mr. Pankaj. Right? So the school is in, located in uh, Shiba Koen, uh, which is very close to Tokitawa, which is a, which is a prime area. So that, that is one thing which uh, I have started uh, in 2014. And uh, in 2017, uh, we started a branding and consulting firm, uh, which is run by my brother, Gopal Raj. Uh, after that, in 2018, we acquired a foreign language school in Hyderabad, in India, uh, along with my uh, old college mate and a very old friend, Mr. Ajay Kumar. And in 2019, we started a tour and travel venture. Uh, a small uh, venture. So along with an old friend of mine, again, a friend of mine for past 17, 18 years, uh, uh, Mr. Nawaz Satak. So that was that was one of the ventures. But now tourism travels because of COVID, I think nothing happening on that area. Mm, yeah. So, so after that, in 2019, we started a human resource initiative under 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 the same umbrella, uh, along with a very good friend of mine, uh, Mr. Nityanandan Balakrishnan. So he, he had come up with this proposal and then we started this all together. I think most of the things that happened is through through old friends coming back to me and saying that, okay, hey, Anil, can we do this? Can you help me do this or something like that? So then, then we start something. That, that's how most of my ventures came up. Right? And and one, one good thing or probably one... Um, Thing that we can probably be proud of is uh, this human resource initiative along with uh, a sending organization called uh, Kaiskill in India. We were the first uh, company to bring in construction workers from India to Japan. Okay. Before that, no, nobody had brought in 
we have construction workers from Vietnam, China, and other places. But from India, we were the first people to bring in construction workers from all over India to Japan. So that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good achievement. That's a good learning curve that we did. And uh, after that, in uh, 2020, which is a wrong time to start any business, but this was actually uh, being planned pre-COVID. So we just started off. So in 2020, uh, we started an IT venture called Nehan Technologies, uh, along with an old friend of mine, maybe around 17, 18 years old friend of mine, uh, Mr. Jishnu Madhavan. So uh, oh, I think apart from Nirvanam, all, all the other ventures you can see that um, uh, I've done it along with quite, uh, what you call uh, a friend who's known to me for 16, 17 years or 18 years. So. Yeah, so trusted trusted friends and advisors, huh? Yes, yes, yes. So t t bringing the um, construction workers from India, J Japan, can you talk a little bit more about the process and how that works? Uh, actually, this is a process called, uh, there's a system called Technical Internship Training Program. It's called TITP. Uh, in, in Japanese, it's called Ginoji Shuse. So basically what happens is that the whole system has uh, three, uh, three or four different organizations. One is the, there's a sending organization in India, which is registered with the national, with the ministry and under the National Skill Development Corporation. So there's a National Skill Development Corporation under the Ministry of Human Resource. So they, and all these companies are uh, empaneled into this National Skill Development Corporation. And on the on the uh, Japan side, there are two organizations called uh, JITCO and OTIT. The JITCO and OTIT are under, also uh, under the uh, under the government, and they actually uh, issue the guidelines to uh, for uh, this this particular scheme. And below uh, below that, we have some supervising organizations, which is which is not which is an uh, association monitoring the candidates and the client and the and the employer so th this is an association so the, the employers actually re either the employers reach out to the supervising organization saying that we need skilled manpower so then the supervising organization gets in touch with the sending organization or their representatives and after that there's a lot of interview process and all the stuff and after all the interview process uh, we go through a documentation process and a training process for the candidates selected and once the candidates are selected and once the documentation is over you you get the visas and those guys come to japan and they are supposed to work for a minimum of three years and a maximum of five years so after five years they're supposed to return back to their home country so that's the whole process of bringing these uh, construction workers to uh, from Japan to India. Okay, and so that, and that process. How does that process? How long is that process from from inside uh, get a get a worker here arriving here? It usually it usually takes around four to six months. Okay, not that long then. Mm. Not that long at all. Okay. Mm. Okay, Anil Raj, I know you do a lot of consulting with. Indian dignitaries that visit Japan and are called upon frequently to discuss bilateral cooperation between Japan and India in different business areas. So what are some of the most interesting and or promising areas that you see on the horizon between the two countries? I think uh, India and Japan relationship is at, is at its peak now. 
right? It has never been this strong before. With uh, both the prime ministers sharing a special bond, I think this will strengthen further, right? So infrastructure areas is key where Japan can support India a lot. There are a lot of Shinkansen projects happening in India and uh, there are a lot of technology uh, projects also happening in India. Uh, so J Japan can support India a lot in that area. And uh, from, uh, from a manpower point of view, Japan is short of manpower, short of trained manpower. Mm -hmm. And if Japanese re requirement is not very rigid, Japan can make use of uh, India's technical trained manpower in the field of IT, artificial intelligence, data science, and other technology areas. Because India, India is very good at IT. IT and uh, related uh, businesses like even in US you can see most of the, most of the IT companies uh, I think 50% uh, of the manpower comes from India yeah absolutely. Like Microsoft or Google or any you name any IT company uh, it comes from India but the reason why Japan did not see that is because of the Japanese language requirement Mm, yeah. So I think I think if the language requirement, uh, if they are not very rigid about language requirement, or if they can actually find a way like bridging the Japanese teams and the Indian team with a with a with some with a few bridge engineers in between, and they, they, Japan can take take you make use of this India's technical manpower in this field. Okay, definitely, definitely, yeah, and. Uh, I think that India definitely trains and supports IT engineers big time. I mean, even when I'm from this coming from Silicon Valley area where I, I lived probably 15 to 20 years. I mean, you see a large population of people from India in that area and they're extremely good employees, well-trained, very diligent and very loyal to their company. So I think yeah, if Japan can grasp onto that and grow that like America's done, they they'd be well, well served in doing so. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about, um, like you mentioned earlier, nobody, I mean, starting the year out in January, I don't think anybody could have expected we'd be where we are now as a result of COVID. So how, how has that, how has that affected your businesses in Japan? Uh, li like, you know, uh, what you call uh, travel and tourism and uh, is almost zero. So we don't have much activity in that area, and restaurant industry also is also the one of the worst affected businesses in Japan, not only in Japan, world over, right? But in in Japan, there are there are some there's some kind of uh, support uh, from the government, but the, I think uh, the government support is not sufficient to uh, cover the expenses, but at least. At least they 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 have some good gesture there. So mm -hmm. so I think if it if it prolongs if this prolongs I think there are plenty of uh, problems in this industry. Uh, to give you an example, Tabelog is a is a leading uh, ranking site for uh, Indian restaurant not not Indian restaurant but for all restaurants in Japan and. Uh, one of my one of my uh, suppliers came to me and said, uh, uh, "Did you know that Tabilog had eight lakh registrations and uh, uh, nine lakh, uh, sorry, nine hundred thousand uh, restaurants registered into uh, Tabilog uh, in March, 
and by July, August, they are down to eight lakh registrations. So that means one lakh. Uh, I mean, by, by lakh, I mean hundred thousand. So uh, one uh, hundred thousand restaurants actually vanished from that uh, from that site, which means those hundred thousand restaurants actually uh, were uh, closed permanently. And these are these are restaurants only registered with the uh, Thabilog. There are other restaurants. All the small restaurants are are not even there in Thabilog list. Yeah, exactly. Right? So the, it, yeah, so there are plenty of restaurants. That there's plenty of small mama papa shops which who do not know how to register into Thabilog. So the, how many of them have uh, gone down? So we don't know. But this uh, this is pretty pretty serious. If, uh, I'm not sure. What is going to happen after post-COVID? Post-COVID, if people will be able to survive, people will be able to. But but government is actually uh, giving has raised the limits for loans. Uh, that way, that way you are actually getting loans. But those loans someday you have to pay back. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. And there are some grants, but my, those are minor. It doesn't even cover maybe 20, 30 percent of your your total losses. But uh, it's a good gesture from Japanese government. Compared, there are there are other other countries which don't even give that uh, that kind of facility. So basically, uh, right now the restaurant industry is bad. So till maybe a few more months, uh, let's hope uh, things come back. I, I I'm I'm not expecting it to be back to normal, but I'm at least hopeful that. It Profit no less uh, situation. Yeah, I think one of the useful things, especially maybe for you guys in the restaurant industry, is that the government doesn't, they haven't mandated that you guys close. They just strongly suggest. So even when they do those suggestions, you could, I mean, you could justifiably keep your restaurant open if you would like to, right? And you wouldn't be in any violation of the law. Correct. Yeah. In Japan, that's the thing that uh, I would have preferred that they they force us to close <laughs> because you know, if not forcing us to close. Uh, they are leaving the owners on us. And because they are leaving the owners on us, then we are uh, we are bound by the uh, labor regulations and all the stuff. Right. But if they ask us to close, then uh, we can we can actually uh, give that as a reason to our landlords or laborers or whatever. So we can actually negotiate on the, on, on the terms. But now, uh, since they have left it on us, then no, nobody wants to go down. Uh, not nobody, but some, pe some people have supported. Uh, some of the owners have supported, but some of the owners say, okay, because you, you, are, uh, you are able to open the restaurant, so it's not our uh, problem. Mm -hmm. So they don't they don't reduce the rent, but some of the uh, some of the owners have come up and said, okay, we will give you a twenty percent discount, or we will give you twenty five percent discount on first two three months or whatever. So the it's it's different from different company, different from different uh, uh, building owners. Okay, so you have have most of your landlords been pretty negotiable during this um, period. Uh, some of them have. But uh, of course, they also have they also uh, express their inability to do because they have the uh, maintenance to be done. They have a lot of things to be done. So they also say, OK, because you've asked, we will give you a 20 percent uh, down uh, cut on the rent uh, for 
two months. Some people gave us for two months. Some people gave for three months. But uh, no, nobody has waved it off. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, in, in their defense, I think a lot of people don't realize they have mortgages to pay as well. So correct, correct, correct. It just, so it's, a, it's a cycle. It's a cycle, right? Absolutely. And so and in the international kindergarten, I, um, have there, did your school have to close or have you been doing online lessons? How, how has that been? Yeah, international kindergarten did not have, uh, it did have a small impact, but it is now now back to normal. So it did have a small impact, a few days of closure, that's all. But uh, I think uh, it is not as bad as our restaurant business or uh, student. Okay. And how have, um, how have your counterparts in India fared during the pandemic? Have they been harder hit or is it pretty similar to most of the other um, large nations? Yeah, India is a different challenge compared to compared to Japan because India has uh, population is a big challenge and the density is a big challenge because of the density because of the population and uh, I think uh, it is it is very difficult to control uh, the the pandemic. So I, I think there are a lot of uh, there were a lot of issues, but I think uh, everybody is doing their own best. So. Let's see, uh, hopefully, I think things, the recovery rate is increasing, increasing. Uh, so now I think in India, recovery rate is around 70% or so. So hopefully in the next two, three months, they should probably be re reaching a point where the recovery rate is 100%. So, so once, once we reach that, once we reach uh, 100 plus, so then at least we know that we are actually improving. Okay. Yeah, I think everybody's keeping their fingers crossed that we can bring this to some kind of closing resolution sooner rather than later. Yeah. Okay, Rod, so um, I wanted to move into my, um, my infamous lightning round now. So um, what books or books have greatly influenced your life? Uh, I'm not a person who has read many books, so difficult to say it has influenced me in some way. But I would definitely like to mention about uh, one book, which probably uh, I liked uh, reading it, uh, which was uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosuke. Mm, okay. so that, was, that was one book which I think I would recommend somebody into, uh, who is into business uh, to read about. Uh, but in general, I'm not a. I, I like reading small articles rather than uh, what you call big thick books. Mm, yeah. So, yeah, that that is my recommendation. And I, yeah, I definitely think that was definitely one of the eye openers for me as far as really wanting to get into entrepreneurship back as early mm. in like early 2000. Yeah. All right, and so Raj, if you could have an advertisement on a billboard anywhere with anything on it. So not necessarily for your business, but just for you. You can have an advertisement anywhere with anything on it. What, what would it say? Uh, I think it will be for young entrepreneurs, which says probably don't just dream, act on what you dream. Okay, very, very good sound advice. All right, and so what is a strange habit or peculiar routine that you love? I think um, I like having a cup of tea with, along with my friends or family. So that's that's probably something which I enjoy. Okay, is that something you do pretty much on a daily basis? Yes. 
And what kind of tea do you favor? I prefer Indian milk tea. Indian milk tea is that Indian? You can you can call it masala chai. Masala chai, okay. Is that easy to find in Japan? Uh, all Indian restaurants have it. Have masala chai, but again, the quality of the chai depends on the restaurant. So. Okay. But uh, I prefer. I have a few restaurants which I like, uh, but uh, apart from my restaurants also. So, but uh, preferably at home, that is the best. Okay, and and that in your restaurant is that imported from India? Or do you are you getting that here? No, no, we make here. We make here. We make oh, you make it? Okay. We make it. Of course, the tea leaves, tea leaves, and the spices are imported from India, but uh, the chai itself is made in made in the restaurant, and it's made fresh. Okay. All right. And in the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? I think uh, earlier on, I used to, uh, I, I never used to note down things, right? So, and uh, I used to rely on my memory, but as age progresses, I thought of noting it down and as I, and that has helped me quite a bit. Like earlier, I used to remember a lot of things, right? My, all my, I, I was not very, uh, I mean, I'm talking about quite maybe around 15 years back or so. Uh, 15 years back or so, of course, at that time, I didn't have so many uh, engagements or so many, so many uh, things to handle. Uh, but I never used to re rely on notes and everything used to be on my head. So over over a period of time, I, I started realizing that I, I because I have too much things to handle, I started forgetting things. So that's when I started taking taking notes and taking um, what they call uh, posting it in calendars and all this stuff. So I I do that. That has uh, that habit has improved uh, my life quite a bit. Yeah, absolutely. I know. Uh, quite often, I'll I'll have ideas that I like, okay, yeah, I'm going to follow up on that. And if I don't write it down, I'll forget it later. Like even sometimes in the middle of the night, I'm thinking of something. So I know a lot of successful people such as yourself, they even keep a notepad near their bed. So when they get these ideas, they jot them down so they can have those to resort back to later. But yeah, I think yes, yes. But nowadays I don't keep the notepad. My phone is always with me. So I have, I, I have, I have the calendar. So next day morning, I put a calendar. Whenever I uh, think of something at night, well, I've, while I'm sleeping, I just get up, get, take the phone and put an alarm at ne next day and put the note there. Okay, this is what I have to do. Okay. And so, Anil Raj, I know not only are you an entrepreneur, but I know you also invest as well. I know even some of the restaurants that you've opened, you've actually acquired and incorporated your own formula into those restaurants. So what advice would you give to a smart, driven investor about to invest with someone raising capital for an M&A acquisition or for a real estate venture? What, what advice would you give to them? I think uh, uh, from an investment point of view, you need to, uh, investors need to probably try and understand the basics of business, where the money comes from, where the money is going, how much percentage of the money is going. Is it, uh, is it according to the industry standards? Uh, or is it uh, more more or less? Let's say let's say you acquire a business, then you know uh, what you call. Let's say, for example, you acquire a business, uh, a, a restaurant, and finding out how much of the how much of their uh, 
what you call uh, investment how much of their sale is going into uh, the food cost and where you can improve so you understanding the basics of business how money comes in how money goes out and if you are if you are able to acquire then can you make a difference in that statement there that is one thing that you will have to understand and uh, understanding especially in in real estate ventures uh, understanding cash flow is very important so investment it, it's it's understanding the basics saying that okay how much you are investing how much is the cash flow you are going to get and how much you have to make projections of course not all projections actually lead to uh, or not all projections are correct but at least you have a projection to start with if you don't have a projection then you don't even know whether don't even know whether it's a good investment or bad investment yeah absolutely right? so, yeah. So yeah, so, under, so if, being, being able to understand and analyze the investment, pretty much, right? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. And if you, if the business you are investing in is new to you, uh, and you don't know anything about it, then it is better to talk to as many people as uh, possible in the same business area. So something or the other might come up in that area. Mm -hmm. Okay. Very good. Very sound advice. Okay, and what are, in, in your in your industry? What are the bad recommendations you hear in your day to day for people new to investing or entrepreneurship? Uh, I hear a lot of uh, <laughs> bad recommendations uh, for investment. I hear a lot of generic statements like, "Okay, realistic in, real estate investing will never go down," right? So. I mean, people people who don't have not studied about real estate investing or anything, they they start saying, oh, no, no, real estate investing you will never go down or you will never this one. But but you can see in Japan, real estate investments has gone down fifty percent, right? Uh, in uh, after after post bubble, so you you it is not that it nothing will never happen, right? So it is not that it will never happen, but it is about you calculating as to what are the what are the what is the probability of that happening and what you factoring those things in right and some people come and tell me some oh food industry margins are very good but people are people looking looking from outside what they uh, i've seen a lot of people coming and coming to me and telling me oh you get uh, rice for uh, x amount uh, x yen per kg and uh, you boil the rice and give it to give it to the customer at 400 yen per bowl Right, oh, you are making a lot of profit, but they don't understand the the, the things behind it. Hmm, right, those kind of those those kind of things are there. People who are outside the outside the business area, they don't understand the problems of the, inside the business. Yeah, there's so many different variables that can affect your margins, right? So correct, correct, correct. Okay, and I think um, with all your ventures, clearly you're pretty busy. So I think at some point, I mean, most successful people have learned. Um, that you have to be able to say no to certain things. So in the last five years, what have you become better at saying no to? Uh, in the last five years, I'm not sure if I have become better at saying no to anything. <laughs> uh, but for sure, in the last five years, I've become much more realistic in my approach. Uh, earlier, uh, uh, earlier during my entrepreneurship journey, uh, I used to be very aggressive in expansion of business, right? So these days, I think uh, yeah, these days, especially after COVID, uh, I'm a bit, uh, I'm holding myself back. So holding myself back and that probably is saying no to myself 
uh, rather than saying no to somebody else. So because I, I before pre-COVID, I had quite a bit of ambitions and uh, that, okay, I have a roadmap. By this time, we will have 10 restaurants. By this time, we will have 15 restaurants and whatever. All those things, I think, I think I'm holding uh, it back. So it is mostly saying no to myself. Okay. And aside from COVID, were there any other lessons that brought on that change? Uh, apart from COVID, yes. Uh, over age, I think uh, you become very realistic. Mm-hmm. Because when you are when you are young, you are more aggressive, uh, and I think uh, uh, even pre-COVID, I have become uh, much more realistic. Okay, how much can I do per month? I break it down. Uh, like let's say for example, uh, if I if it was 15 years back, I would probably say, okay, by this year I have to do 10 restaurants, 20 restaurants, right? So then. Uh, uh, once you once uh, you mature, then probably you come down to breaking down those things into uh, okay. If I have to do twenty restaurants, then uh, then I probably have to do two per year or three per year or whatever. So th- th- those kind of realistic things uh, come into picture once you once you mature over a period of time. So every every five years, probably you definitely mature. Yeah, definitely, and even I think. Even just the average person, you hear, oh, two restaurants a year, that doesn't sound like a lot. But to get a deal done, I mean, you're looking at, I think, on average, six to seven months minimum to get a deal done, right? Especially if you're doing an acquisition, right? Yes, yes, yes. A lot of time to get those deals done. So, Especially in Japan, right? In Japan, the problem is that uh, not all, uh, all open restaurants are uh, open for uh, foreigners. Mm-hmm. And over and above that, even if they are open for foreigners, they are not open for curry because curry is uh, there's a, there's a uh, what do you call misconception that curry has a lot of smell, but any any food has smell. So if you go to an izakaya, it has smell, but they uh, they are not very comfortable with the smell of curry. The owners are not comfortable with the smell of curry. So. Uh, First thing, let's say for example, out of every hundred restaurants or, or out of every hundred locations that are open in the market, only 10% will be open for foreigners. And out of that 10%, then you are down to one or two percent of those open uh, restaurants or locations who are ready to give it for curry. Mm. Right. So that actually is a challenge in japan which probably in in other countries it's not that in other english-speaking countries or like uk us i don't think that's an issue there Hmm. yeah i hadn't even thought of that but yeah i I can see that definitely be an issue because yeah even like you say even just being a foreigner your 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 choices are a lot more constrained correct okay all right, so last question. So when you're feeling overwhelmed or unfocused, what, what do you usually do? Uh, yeah, sometimes when I'm very disturbed or when I'm overwhelmed or I think I, I'm not comfortable. So I, I prefer, prefer to temporarily step back and not look at the problem at hand. And instead, I would, I would probably spend some time with my family or call my parents or near and dear ones and speak to them of course not speak uh, speak about the problem mm-hmm. but ju- just speak to them in general 
so that that gives me a bit of uh, um, uh, what relief a good feel right but i do, i i am a person who rarely discusses problems uh, with uh, my parents or with my um, what do you call family oh, yeah. because mm. that actually that actually might stress them out mm, because yes. yeah. the, the kind of the kind of problems that we deal with I, I don't think because they they have not faced this problem like i told you we, we don't come from a business family so they are not used to handling these kind of problems they might be used to handling a, an employment kind of problem kind of thing but not the problems that we face on a day to day basis right so they are not used to it but for me just speaking to them on a different topic on different this one uh, that itself gives me a good feel and then probably uh, step back into the problem later Okay, it just kind of gives you a a grounded feeling. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. All right, excellent. All right, so Anil Raj, yeah, we've covered um, a plethora of information here, and I really appreciate your time today. So, um, before we um jump off, um, if anybody wanted to get in touch with you or learn more about your company or collaborate, how would they how would they get in touch with you? I think uh, the best uh, way to get in touch with me would be through LinkedIn. or facebook facebook probably sometimes uh, if if they're not connected uh, to any of my friends then i usually don't accept but linkedin is a good thing because i understand their uh, the swarman they can send me a message through linkedin or they can even uh, email me at uh, rajgroup@hotmail.com or anilraj at rajgroupglobal.com okay and i'll have that info um i'll have that info in the description under this episode as well And if they yeah. are searching for you on Facebook or um, LinkedIn, would they search for Raj Group or just um, Anil Raj? Yeah, Anil Raj is fine. Anil Raj is fine. They search for Anil Raj. Okay, perfect. All right, well, Mr. Anil Raj, it was great having you on today. I look forward to um, connecting with you again in the future, and um, I'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Don. Thanks right. for the opportunity, right. and uh, good luck. All right, you as well. I hope to see you soon. Yeah. All right. Take Thank care. you. Bye. Bye.